You're listening to 2, 5, and 10, your source for bullshit-free NHL news, analysis, and insights. Now, here are your hosts, Kevin Naughton and Ben Stewart. It's very unfortunate, Betty. Everybody, welcome to episode 70 of 2, 5, and 10. I really love your guys' goal song, but I wanted no part of hearing that shit on Sunday. I'm very happy. I only had to hear it once. Benny, what up? Yeah, you, before the game, as we were walking there, you kept saying you only wanted to hear it one time you got your wish, unfortunately for me. Uh, I thought the game on Sunday was our first 2, 5, and 10 quote-unquote game. And I thought the game itself was good. Got some feistiness in there with uh, Marshan and Lindgren, who is a house of a man. Uh, you guys came away to win, but it was nice to catch up with you, Big Kev, uh, his friend Murph. Uh, I'm curious on if you guys got into anything after the game, after we parted ways, and how you enjoyed the rest of the time here. Yes, yeah, so, so let's just square it away real quick. A huge thank you to Mr. Murphy and Mrs. Murphy for their hospitality and dealing with me and Kev for the weekend. On the other end of it, um, I had an absolute blast. I went there. I did my tourist thing. Uh, we bounced around. So we get to Murph's house about 8.15. We get treated like true New Yorkers, and we go for bagels. And then uh, we kind of went through Central Park a little bit, which was awesome. Uh I'd never been to Central Park, and the couple of times I've been in New York, so on that end, it was cool just kind of actually see this monstrosity that's in the middle of the city. And then after that, we took the the subway down to the Brooklyn Bridge. We went, we saw that. And then after that, we met you up at the World Trade Center, and then we did the, I believe it's the High Line, is that correct? Yeah. The High Line. We did the High Line, which was pretty cool, uh, just walking up, not having to deal with... All the extra New York foot traffic, in a sense. It seemed like, you know, it's kind of like buzz right up to Midtown from there, which was awesome. And then uh, we end up going to, was it John Doyle's? Jack Doyle's uh, right around Jack the corner? Doyle. Jack Doyle's, cool oh, little yeah, spot. Right yeah, had some burgers, had a couple of beers, got a little primed up, and then uh, made our way into the garden. And um, I just want to say, I did not know what to expect. I was just very happy that we could all get together it, it seemed like it was going to be a great time. And then the tickets that Mr. Murphy got us. My God. I, I've never I've never even sat that close at the garden at a beanpot game. Like, it was absolutely incredible. Uh, six rows from the ice right by the Rangers intro and outro tunnel there. So I, I could scream to my boy Quinny and Hanky and Crides uh, every time Crides came. Crides, come home, baby. Come home. And uh, I could see the pain in some Rangers fans' eyes as I was saying that because I think they know it's getting towards the end with Kreider. But I had an absolute blast. After the game, uh, after we parted, we went Upper East Side to Earl's 
cheese and wine bar. Oh, nice. Very nice. And uh, it was awesome. It, it was kind of like um, a little bit of a hipster bar in a sense. They had uh, all these custom craft brews, IPAs on tap, and all these wines. And we got after it. The boys had like these cheese whiz things with garlic. And then we had these sandwiches, pork with egg, with kimchi. Next time, not doing the kimchi, dude. I got up at like one in the morning thinking I was going to vomit from the kimchi, just like settling uh, in my stomach. It, huh? You know, I never really had it. And I was like, oh, it's onions and all mixed up. I mean, it can't be that bad, right? The cabbage, man, that's my favorite ever since I started uh, dating a first lady. Oh, like I, I can deal with cabbage. I'm a cabbage guy. But this thing, I was like sitting there like one in the morning. I'm like, this is not a, a booze infused type one to come up. This was like something different. But uh, the food was really good. It was just that that kind of got me going the other way. But, yeah, the, I mean, the boys got after it. We, we had a, a a very good afternoon before the garden, at the garden, and after the garden. So, Did uh, Fast Phil join you? Fast Phil actually did not join us. We actually jumped in a cab before we had met up. So I did not get to see him for an after party. But, yes, very excited that one of our previous co-hosts, Fast Phil, was also at the game. All the boys came together. Uh Next year, I'm hoping for a bigger crowd. I'm hoping we can get the Strat Daddy to come down. And I think it's just going to be an absolute abomination next year. But we, we will not put the absolute abomination in Mr. Murph's house. We were very gracious for the accommodations and the hospitality of Mr. and Mrs. Murphy. So we will not let them deal with that nightmare if we let Strat Daddy come out to play. So, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> nice uh, that Phil kind of picked us out of the crowd because of my Nordique jersey. Yes, the Nordiques jersey was a big hit, too. Everyone was saying that. And I kept seeing, like, the Rangers fans go by. They would look, and they were like, that's not a Swedish jersey, thinking it was, like, for Hanky. So yeah. that that made me laugh every time. Uh, but, no, great game, uh, great time as well. And like you said, uh, thank you to Murph for the hospitality, the tickets. Um, six rows off the ice, can't really complain. Got to see Hank's beauty. And his awe-inspiring hair up close. Uh, I told him I love him. Hopefully, he heard me. And yeah, like you said, got to do it again next year. The Rangers and Bruins always have at least one weekend game in New York. Uh, so next season, that should definitely be on the calendar for us. And I know I still need to. By the end of the season, I owe you for the Senators and Red Wings bet too. So maybe I'll do something in Boston as well. I mean. Uh I think there's a team in black and gold there that might be in the playoffs, so we'll see what we can accommodate. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just for today, a lot going on in the hockey world. Uh, we got, we'll talk about the Bruce Boudreaux firing in Minnesota. We'll t- talk about some of the trades that have gone down since we last recorded. Yesterday was a very busy day around the National Hockey League in terms of trading. Uh, if you have time, we'll touch on the Zach Cassian kick slash suspension. Uh, Nazim Kadri, uh, sorry, Vander Kane's uh, comments about the Department of Player Safety, which finally just echoed what you and I have been saying for about a year and a half now. And then we'll get into picks, lock of the week, today NHL history. And next time you guys hear from us, it will be post-trade deadline, and we'll have our analysis and thoughts on everything that went down there. Maybe we will do what we did last year. We'll do the actual show on the trade deadline so we can do everything live as it comes out, so we can do a little facebook while we're recording and then have this out for that night or the next day so we'll have to coordinate all that yeah i was thinking maybe we can do monday afternoon or monday evening right after it expires perfect sign me up yeah (laughs) um 
but yeah, going into the Bruce Boudreaux situation, fired by the Minnesota Wild this past week, actually on Valentine's Day, which not a lot of love there. He, it was kind of a surprise firing, caught even us off guard, even though we've been kind of talking about uh, the Wild going in a different direction. Once he made it into the season, uh, he survived the GM change. He survived, you know, entering into the 2020 calendar year. We thought they were just going to let him coach out the string. His contract's up at the end of the year. Everybody figured they would move on over the summer. And especially after the Wild, I think, went 7-3 and three in the last 10 before the firing. And I know the Rangers came back and won the night before in Minnesota. He gets a call into the office, and he's let go. Uh, he was surprised as well. I know you shared this, but the way Boudreaux explained it, I'll read a snippet from this article that was written on the Athletic. The, Michael the, Russo. This quote is great, by the way. <laughs> yeah, so I'll read the, uh, the little snippet. We'll have the reaction to his quote, and then I just have a little comment on how it was handled. Uh, but, quote, Boudreaux held his normal coaches meeting at 845 of assistants Dean Everson, Bob Woods, and Darby Hendrickson. They broke down video, came off a practice plan, pre-scouted the San Jose Sharks, and decided on a lineup for Saturday's game before Boudreaux left the coach's room to return to his office. Quote, it was funny because Bill, meaning Billy Guerin, came in and he shut the door. And as soon as he shut the door, I knew, Boudreaux said, I'm going to make a change. And I instantly said, are you firing me? And he goes, yes. And I said, are you fucking kidding me? End quote. So I know we both found a little snippet, the quote there by Boudreaux funny, but my reaction to that is, why are they letting him hold that coach's meeting and scowl for the upcoming game if they were planning on firing him? I think that shows a little bit of inexperience there by Garen. Yeah, I mean... That part to me was weird as well because you figured that Friday night they'd gas him so then he could go to the rink, collect all of his belongings, and then whoever they are given the reins to would be there for that next morning. The team was actually starting to turn it around a little bit. Like They were 7-3. and three. They were playing pretty good hockey. They were still semi in that playoff hunt with the way that they were turning it around. And then ever since the firing, I mean, it seems like the wheels have just kind of come off the wagon here. Is it a hope? Is it a plea? To me, why do you fire him and then not hire Gallant or someone that is a big name here? Like, I I just don't get why you're going to give an interim tag and let it run out the rest of the season. Like, if you're going to fire him and go in the right direction, do it. Just, I I just don't get the kind of half in, half out part of this. I know James Myrtle, uh, he's also with The Athletic. He's covered the Maple Leafs for years. He even said that when he heard that Boudreaux was fired, he was waiting for the other shooter drop where they announced Laviolette or Gallant or Babcock, somebody like that would be coming in. And the fact that it was just an interim with uh, Boudreaux's longtime assistant from their days in Washington, Dean uh, Everson, was kind of surprising. Just to kind of put a bow on Boudreaux's career with Minnesota, he finished one 58, 110, and 35 in three and a half seasons with the Wild. He's currently 22nd in financial history of 567 regular season wins. So I know he hasn't had a lot of hasn't had a lot of playoff success in the Stanley Cup, but he knows how to get things done in a regular season. And you kind of look back to our summer previews where we thought the Wild would be this year. 
and they got even worse production than we expected. Goaltending has been uneven. Uh, their photo group, especially their sentiment, have been extremely lackluster this year. Stahl's, Eric Stahl has fallen off ever since uh, the beginning of the 2020 calendar year. And he still had them kind of right on the edge of that playoff race. Like you said, at the time, they were six or seven points out of the last wildcard spot. But they had four games in hand on the Coyotes. And that 7-3 run, it was an odd timing. That kind of speaks to me in a sense of Garen really did think that they had a shot at the playoffs. But he doesn't didn't think that the way Boudreaux was coaching or utilizing the guys that were currently on the roster was going to be able to get the job done and make a run at it. So maybe he thought just, we're here, we got back to it, let's see what can happen. And he wanted to go with somebody like Everson, who has experience as a head coach, uh, not in the National Hockey League, but in WHL, the AHL, long time with the Milwaukee Admirals, um, and just wanted to give it a shot there. I just don't like, I mean, it's not a major complaint. I just don't like how he handled the, the morning of uh, in terms of letting him run that coach's meeting. I was very surprised, too, that they named Everson as the interim because it seems like all these guys that come in with their guys that are assistants have left with their guys that are assistants. Gallant and Tom Kelly, Laviolette and his guy. Like It always seems like it's the coach and the associate head coach. And for them to just gas Boudreaux and keep Everson, now it makes me wonder if maybe there was some tension there between them. And maybe it's kind of the point of, you know, Dean, I really like you. I don't really like where Bruce is going with this. Uh let's keep you on board and we'll do that, which to me would be something completely out of the norm, especially hockey wise. Cause these guys, like those are their go-tos. They get the phone call for a job. That's the next phone call to these guys. So for him to kind of, I don't want to say ghost Boudreaux, but at the same time for him to stay and Boudreaux to go, I wonder if in the future, if, these two come together again. Yeah, and in terms of Everson, he has experience, like I kind of highlighted there. He's very well respected around the league. A lot of players, especially with the Predators organization, credit him from his time with Milwaukee uh, for a lot of their success and kind of helping their careers out. So I think this is might have been a situation of it's – kind of long overdue for him to get an opportunity and they're just curious to see maybe we don't need to pay top dollar for another coach like they did with Boudreaux maybe ever since the answer and going uh, but like you said the associate coach taking over apparently Paul Fenton last year tried or contemplated following Boudreaux's times and promoting Everson the head coach so this has been kind of in a works across over two GMs for a season and a half now. So this wasn't just a spur of the moment. Apparently, it's been kind of looked at as the heir apparent in Minnesota if they let go of Buja. I find it interesting, too, that they're not completely blowing this up currently at the trade deadline. Like, if you're going to go through, fire the coach... And now it looks like they kind of dropped out of that playoff spot. Now, currently, with only 61 points, it seems like they're almost too far to get back in it. Why is it not being blown up currently? You see all sorts of teams that are 
indefinitely calling, reaching out, making trades, making things happen. And then there's Minnesota who gasses their coach, but then nothing else follows suit. Like to me, it almost seems like at this point right now, Bill Guerin should be hoping for a lottery spot, which he might be too high to get to. But even then it's like, you now need some return. So I'm just curious to see as to where this is going to go to. Yeah, I mean, he made the Zucker trade. I don't think they have many guys that are highly sought after on the market right now because either older, they're underproducing, or they have a lot of term left in our contract. Like Sutter, Parisi, I know Matt Dumba and uh, Jonas Brodine would be um, highly sought after on the market, but I don't know if Minnesota's looking to move those two young defenders. I don't think anybody's going to be moving after Zuccarello or Eric Stahl at this point, so... I think Zucker was the one big chip that they had and just cashed it in. And now he's just kind of waiting until the summer. Maybe at the draft they can move something. Maybe, man. Um, going on our next thing this week, speaking of trades we were just talking about, Benny, uh, lay it out for the people. It has been a very busy 48 hours in the NHL. Yeah, it started on Sunday uh, when we were at the game. The Devils started making some moves. The They traded their captain, defenseman Andy Green, to the New York Islanders for prospect David Quenville on a 2021 second-round pick. And then they turned around and traded Blake Coleman uh, to the Tampa Bay Lightning for Nolan Foote and Vancouver's 2021st-round pick. Uh, so those two trades right there. I'll just look, run through all the it's that kind of happened this weekend that we can touch on them once we want. Uh, the very next day, the Canucks went ahead and traded uh, Tim Schaller, Tyler Madden, and a 2020 second round pick, a conditional 2022 fourth round pick uh, for Tyler Toffoli to fill that top six right wing spot. Then the very next day, it was a little, a little more busy. The Capitals acquired Brendan Dillon from the San Jose Sharks. The Blues acquired Marco Scandella. The Jets acquired Dylan uh, DeMeo. The Rangers made a minor, but I think a potentially very impactful trade. They traded defense prospect Joey Keane to the Carolina Hurricanes for a forward Julian Gauthier. And then today, Alec Martinez, who can suck a dick after 2014, was traded to the Vegas Golden Knights for two second-round picks in 2020 and 2021 so what are your thoughts on some of the trades i found the interdivision trades between islanders and devils and vegas and kings pretty interesting um and i obviously have some thoughts on the rangers hurricanes trade but uh where do you want to go uh well i'll just touch on the devils ones we, we were getting breaking news on those while we were in new york sunday from our insider in new jersey so we do appreciate that um the Andy Green one, I think that's a respect trade in the sense of he's been there so long for them. He's done it. And now when you look the other way, like he's going to a team that has a chance with the Islanders. So I think for him, that's obviously a respect factor. He doesn't have to move his family. He can stay in New Jersey. They're a little bit of a commute, but nothing too crazy. Uh, that's a huge pickup for the Islanders going into the postseason just with that injury that they had to Pelic. So he's going to fill that yeah. that uh, lefty slot for him pretty good there. So I think for them, that was a very good trade for the Islanders. Going to the next trade that was going on there, um, Blake Coleman going to Tampa Bay. I think 
that Nolan Foot and that first round pick are huge for the Devils. That's and a great return. Absolutely, that's a great return. And uh, unfortunately for everybody else, I think that set in the market. Like the market ended up going really high after that. And we'll get to the to Foley deal. But I think that is a great pick for the Devils. And then the return for the Lightning is Blake Coleman. Personally, I don't think Blake Coleman should have gotten them that type of return. But at the same time, I mean, Tampa seems to be all in it now. Like, they just, they're going to pay whatever it is for what they need or want and what they think they're going to need, and that's it. So good for them for going all in. Uh, Your thoughts on those? Yeah, the Andy Green trade, like you said, a nice depth addition, especially for their PK, which even though they're a good defensive team, they're kind of middle of the pack this year, so you should help there. Um, the Coleman trade I thought was interesting just because I he's turned into a decent goal scorer um, and kind of four-checker, and he's signed at a bargain, $1.8 million cap hit through the end of next season, pretty big return going back the devils are kind of looking at it where they're building around nico heischer and jack hughes and mackenzie blackwood and tyson ty smith and that window might not have been lining up with blake coleman's age uh by that point so they kind of cashed in now i don't blame them for trading him for the return they got and if this is the return that blake coleman gets even though he's a free agent at the end of the season i can't wait to see what Chris Kreider would get on a trade. Um, just one more comment from the Lightning side of things. I think this is a reason why the Lightning are perennially Stanley Cup contenders. They, over the summer, were facing a massive cap crunch. They had to sign point, all these guys. They were able to unload JT Miller, who's a good player, but they were able to unload him and his contract onto Vancouver, and he got a first-round pick in return for it. And then they turned around and used that first-round pick for a guy like Blake Coleman, who's relatively young, extremely cheap, and kind of fits into their third-line secondary scoring role, and they still have their own first-round pick. This is why the line can stay in contention for year after year, because of moves like this. Agreed. That pick doesn't cost them anything. So they still have their own, and... Currently, the Canucks are in the playoffs, too, so it should only be a couple of picks and a difference a little further up the death chart. So, yeah, agreed completely. Yeah, and the, the other moves that have kind of come down besides it to fully trade are some solid veteran guys on the back end of gone trades, Gandela, DeMaio, uh, Alec Martinez. They're going to help fill some roles, Brendan Dillon. They're going to fill some roles, mostly third pair, maybe second pair, uh, the opportunity cost and it costs these teams too much in terms of draft picks or prospects. So really just very standard, in my opinion, trade deadline maneuvering for cup contending teams. The DeFoley trade was interesting because I know you were mentioning that Boston had a pocket deal for DeFoley. That's kind of out of the uh, way now, obviously. The two things about that is I was kind of looking at Vancouver for a landing spot for Chris Kreider. And they traded to L.A. the exact package that I had written down in my notes for Kreider. I had Tyler Madden and a 2021 second-round pick for Kreider. And they basically traded Tyler Madden and a 2021 second-round pick for Tyler Toffoli. So that's one angle of it. The other angle is they made this addition, and then they announced that 
uh, Brock Bosman might be miss the rest of the season. So this might not take them out of the trade line still. They might look to add a guy like Wayne Simmons or somebody. Uh, so that's interesting. Do you think Toffoli, who's getting reunited with uh, Pearson here, is a good enough replacement for their top six? Or would you still look to add somebody for their top six or top nine? Uh, I think he's a great replacement. I do think he's going to reignite that flame with Tanner Pearson. I, I think those two are very close in general on and off the ice bringing them both back together. I mean, who's to say that Toffoli doesn't re-sign longer in Vancouver with him there? Going forward with that Besser injury, yeah, they might They might have to bring another guy in here. And I know they haven't done anything yet, but Colorado, the same thing. That injury bug has just hit them and hit them hard. So, so there might have to be some things that they're going to have to do that they don't want to do in a sense. So I, I think it's kind of pushing people into a corner right now I think defensively they're fine, but yes, up front Vancouver is going to need to add another element there. Absolutely. And like you touched on a rent and an injury that kind of puts Colorado on a spot of, and you said this to me last night, did they use their draft capital and a prospect pool to bring in a replacement for a or did they bring in somebody in gold to help supplement uh, while Phil Grubauer is out? And if that's in the position, that's a pretty tough spot to be in, especially if you don't want to kind of empty the cupboard uh, in Colorado. And that puts teams that are selling, like the Rangers, in a very, very good position with a guy like Alexander Georgiev, uh, Chris Kreider, obviously, Ryan Strom, guys like that. The interesting part, and I know I've said this a lot about Chris Kreider, how interesting it is. Apparently, the final four teams in the Kreider sweepstakes are the Boston Bruins, the Colorado Avalanche, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and the New York Islanders. And I can't see the Rangers trading Chris Kreider to the Islanders. I We talked about this last week. I don't think Kreider is a great fit uh, in Boston because he's not going to play his off wing on the right side with Krejci and DeBrusque. So that kind of knocks it down to Pittsburgh, who doesn't have a deep prospect pool. So that kind of leaves Colorado as the last team standing. And they're the fifth-ranked uh, prospect pool in the league. They have, obviously, most of their draft capital left for next this coming draft and next year's draft. So I kind of see a fit moving there for the Crowder situation. Well, while on the Rangers, I can tell you that you're really going to like that Gauthier. He is a big power forward and... I mean, maybe that's just them mentally thinking they are going to get rid of Kreider and they're looking for another big body to kind of fill a role up front for them. Yeah, I love that trade. The Rangers, I talked about this last week, they are stacked and defensemen on the prospect pipeline. I know Joey Keene is a right-hand shot. Most of the defense prospects are left-hand shots. They were able to deal from a position of strength and bring in a forward who is still relatively young, I think 23, 24 years old. He's produced extremely well in the AHL. He's just been kind of blocked from making a consistent uh, opportunity in Carolina. He's practicing with the team in Chicago. I know they're playing tonight. I don't know if he's in a lineup or not. But like you said, big body's a right-hand shot. So even if the Rangers keep Kreider or bring him back over the summer, they can still have Gauthier play on the right side. He's more of just a shooter, not a real strong defensive player, so he's not a four-flying guy. I could see them putting him on the third line, you put him on Filipito's wing on the third line for the rest of the season and see what happens there. I think that could be a good fit. 
And that's exact. That's a perfect uh, way for the Rangers to maximize the value on the defense prospects, especially if Joey Keane's a right-hand shot defenseman. The Rangers have Truba signed long-term. Fox isn't going anywhere. D'Angelo shouldn't be going anywhere. He's one of the best young offensive defensemen in the league. And their number one th- prospect on a back end is also a right-hand shot in Niels Lindquist. Uh, Lindquist. So that's going to be something where you might see the Rangers start moving some of their left-hand shot defensemen and prospects as well for some forward groups. Uh, I've kind of mentioned Brady Shea, who signed long-term. I bring back somebody maybe to Florida for uh, Trocek. Uh, so it's going to be interesting for the Rangers. This may not be just veterans for prospects. It could be prospect for prospects even more. Um, can I give you a very strictly hypothetical? I know we usually do this later on in the show, but we're speaking of the Rangers and possible trades. And I know we had discussed that you do not believe that Chris Kreider is a fit here coming here to play the off wing. I agree with you with that, but I have something in return in a different way. Okay. Uh, you guys, I mean, would you be interested in a left winger that would be restricted at the end of the year and, who knows what the numbers would or wouldn't end up being. You'd have to work that out and re- restricted free agency. And you'd probably have to sign Kreider to an extension before the trade. But I was thinking about this the other day. I mean, this Bruins team is go only going to go as far as David Krejci takes them. Just if the top line gets shut down, you're going to have to look for that 2C. David Krejci's the guy. So the team's only going to go as far as Krejci takes them. With that... Jake DeBrusque is one of the most hot and cold players I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> um, Chris Kreider is a big body who can go up and down that left wing, and he can kind of make some things happen. We saw it on Sunday just watching him up close yep. as to how fast he is skating-wise, as to how into it he is on a four-check. He's around the net. What if uh, you assign him to an extension, a sign-and-trade, Chris Kreider for Jake DeBrusque in a pick. I think the Rangers... So, what's DeBrusque currently signed to? He's on an entry level, and then he's going to restrict it at the end of the year. Okay, so he doesn't have arbitration rights yet, so you're kind of looking at a bridge deal, most likely. Correct. Um, probably in, what, the 3 to $4 million range per year? I would say max, yeah, probably about there. For the, okay. for the first part of the lower bridge, yes. Yeah, exactly. I think... Yeah, unless a team like Colorado is going to blow you away with an offer where it's like Alex Newhook, a first, and additional picks or a roster player, I think the Rangers signed off for that yesterday. Uh, just because that's a built-in, ready-made, NHL-ready, top-six forward to replace him on a left wing, you put him with Zibanejad, and then you get a pick out of it, or even if it's just another prospect for Kreider, I think that way, instead of trying to fit Kreider in at six and a half, seven million dollars a year, you take that $3 million in savings, and you put that towards a D'Angelo contract, and you get to fill both holes. So, I think the Rangers make that. Now, for you, the flip side is you make that trade, you sign Kreider, you're able to fit him in on the path for the next few years. Do you still make move for prospects and picks for second round winners continue with the playoffs? Uh that that's tough to say. I mean, 
this team has had this hole now for years. So for a team who's had this hole and was able to go to a Stanley Cup final last year, obviously I'm not worried. There's an offseason. You can kind of see where guys are or aren't. But internally, I don't think we have this remedy. We've tried all sorts of people there. Carson Kuhlman, Danton Heinen. No one seems to make that fit completely. So on that end, it's tough. I, I just think that the way Don Sweeney is, if the price is too high, I just don't think he'll pay it. So they'll try internally. Yeah. Maybe they'll just do Carson Kuhlman again, and then in the off season, maybe they'll try to retool and get something else. Yeah, I just think if you guys don't make it to the Stanley Cup or you guys lose the Stanley Cup it's because of a lack of secondary scoring, I don't know how management can look at the fans and also the guys in a room and say, we did everything we could. Like I feel like you have a small enough window. You never know what's going to happen. Char is in his 40s. Bergeron is starting to break down more and more with injuries here and there. This is your window, especially with Tuca and goal. And if you're not going to just unload like a team like Tampa Bay does or potentially a team like Colorado will to bring in guys to help you win a Stanley Cup, that might be an issue moving forward. It, it, I agree, but at the same time, that, that was the same thing that happened last year. That we, we were waiting for a big yeah. splash, big splash, big splash. It ended up being Marcus Johansson. Granted, he, he played incredible for us. He, he had a great postseason, him and Charlie Coyle. But at the same time, there were a lot of better players available. And Marcus Johansson went to the third line, not the second. So I think that if we're going to be upset, it should have started last year saying, was it lightning in a bottle? Did it just work? I mean, if this team goes to a first-round exit, I mean, can we blame management? Is it management's fault? I mean, this is... On paper, basically the same roster as last year, give or take a player or two. I don't think you yeah. can blame Don Sweeney for that. I mean, we can fill both holes on the trade here. I can give you Kreider and Jesper Foss for that right wing spot uh, for DeBrusque and a couple picks. <laughs> we'll be in talk. Call, call my agent later. We'll set up. The <laughs> secretary will set up the conference call. Um, but yeah, I wanted to move on just so we can get just a minute or two uh, discussion about the uh, Zach Cassian thing, just because when it first happened, I couldn't understand the thought process behind what Cassian did. I know he got suspended seven games. I thought, so for those that don't know by this point, uh, the Oilers, they're playing the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, there is kind of a tie-up at the blue line. I think it was, what, Cernak went yeah, down with them? Yeah, Cernak on Tampa Bay, yep. Yeah, fell down with Cassian. They were kind of all tangled up. And Cassian got frustrated for some reason and decided to take his foot and kick it into the torso, the chest area of Cernak. Didn't cause any damage, thank God. But that's a situation where you can cause a massive injury uh, to a guy with your skate like that. And this is coming off where he got suspended. Uh, well, not suspended. He got uh he did get suspended, and it's just not enough. Uh, for the, what happened with the Kachuk situation, but everybody applauded him for that because everybody hates Matt Kachuk. He, you'd think he'd be on his best behavior. This just shows a lack of ability to 
properly process a situation internally and not just act on fucking emotion and anger and be hot-headed. And now you're getting to a point where you're going to start causing some serious injury. I think this is a Matt Cook, Rafi Torres situation where this guy needs to get taken off before he actually really fucking hurt somebody. Because if that kick was a few inches higher and it catches him in the throat, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I thought he should have been suspended the rest of the season and playoffs. Oh, just off actions alone, I thought minimum 10, if not longer. Yeah. Going into it, like like you said, he got suspended for that Kachuk thing for letting his emotions get the better of him. When he comes back and then the game he fights Kachuk, he kind of has it in his hands in a sense, and he handles it a lot better as to what he's going to do. Before that game, go to our Instagram page. Two, five, and ten hockey. Uh, That clip you put up of me saying, I think he's dumb enough to get a ten-game suspension. There you go. uh, It didn't happen too much after. (laughs) Like, legitimately, I think this is the type of guy, and everyone's different personality-wise. I'm not condoning what he did by almost killing somebody. He is the type of guy that can instantly go black or go red. He just can't see what he's doing, does stuff out of anger. When he's able to go and process things, he can react a lot better, like the time he fought Kachuk. But the other times where he gets blown up and then he jumps him, and then this situation, like you said, they just kind of got tangled up. It wasn't like anything was dirty or he got elbowed or blindsided. Guys kind of just collided, got tangled up. If he kicks him in the throat here, and he's slightly like he should legitimately go to jail. Yep. For attempted murder. Because who's to say he, if he kicks him in the fucking juggler and he kills him on the ice, that game is a homicide. Yep. It's a crime scene. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> I thought you said ten gamer when it happened. You text me. I thought it should have been instant. Rest of the regular season and playoffs, and then over the summer, you would have to have a hearing with the commissioner basically stating why you should be reinstated and the steps you've taken to uh, eliminate that from your personality because you can't be having that out there. So, One other thing about him real quick is this. He's already gone through the NHL alcohol and drug abuse rehab. Yeah, that's correct. So he's mentally already fried, and usually when people clean up their acts, it's for the better. This guy is mentally insane, like needs a psychologist, psychiatrist. Uh, They have a lot of expendable income up there in Edmonton with that team specifically. Uh, They need to corral him into a severe mental health unit and try to find out what his trigger is. And maybe he can be prescribed medication and it can help it. Or maybe he is just that much of a psychopath where, yeah, there needs to be more done. It's almost like a Bertuzzi situation, but it happens fairly consistently where he just stops functioning and stops having a, like a common sense barrier in his mind. He just does the instinctual reaction of kick this fucking guy. Yeah. And, the, he, and he does it. The blood just like stops going to his brain and he just doesn't know how to react. You, exactly. you, you want to know something about Todd Bertuzzi, too, now that you said him? I'll tell you how big of a shithead Todd Bertuzzi yeah. is. I was probably about eight, ten years old. My cousin had played 
at the Garden before a Bruins game. So, you know, you're there really early. They play a game, and then you kind of hang around until the after effect. Well, the Vancouver Canucks were in town while he was there. And you can look down into the visiting stairwell because their locker room's right there, unlike the Bruins where it's a whole locker room, then it churns, so you can't see any of them. So we're hanging over the thing, and, you know, I'm just a kid. Hey, can I get a stick? Can I get a stick? Can I get a stick? He tells me at 8, 10 years old, hey, kid, bite me. Really? For asking you for a stick? Like, it's not like I told you I'm fucking going to hammer your old lady later. Like, I'm asking you for a stick, something a kid does. And know who ended up giving me their stick? Donald Brashear signed it and gave me his stick. Well, that's one good thing he did. It's just, I don't know, man. Some people just, I guess they don't have it. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I mean, speaking about people that don't have it, I wanted to go into the our weekend review and really focus on Brad Marchand because, like you said, this was as close to the action that I've gotten. I've sat in a similar spot at the Garden for a Rangers game, but not against the Bruins. And I know I have my feelings about Brad Marchand. He even acted up like a little piece of shit twice during a game on Sunday. He got cross-checked to a different galaxy by Pavel Buchnevich, which didn't go called, which was ridiculous that Buch didn't get called on that. But just seeing when he's focused on the game, he is one of the slickest most skilled players on the ice on either team. And it's just so apparent watching the game that it's crazy to think that everybody, when he first came out, thought he was going to be a third line agitator. And that was about it. Uh, everybody, except for me, I swear to God, you can ask Jason means I was working for the Lowell devils in the Oh nine, 2010 season. And I said, this Brad Marchand is a fucking player and he's going to make the league. And you know what Jason Maines told me? Zach Campbell was our first pick, and he's the best guy from the Everett Silvertips. said, I don't give a shit. This Brad Marchand can play. And uh, the next year he came up, and he won a Stanley Cup that year, so he did pretty good. Yeah, I mean, Marchand's just so good when he wants to fall. I know that's part of his game. I'm not saying Marchand should just stop getting under people's skin. He's, he's good at that. But to kind of bring it back around to the Rangers, I mentioned Buchnevich when he Rush check Marchand that will endear him to the Rangers faithful at the Garden. Uh, Booch has been playing well. Eight points in his last eight games ever since he got ever since he got benched by Quinney. Uh, he's been more engaged. This kind of happened last year as well, where towards the last half of the season, Booch got benched by Quinn and he came back in the lineup, and then he just went on a tear to finish the season up. And everybody over the summer and through training camp, like this is going. to to be his year he's finally going to put it together he put it together last season towards the end and we're going to finally get that 25 30 goal guy and it's been the same story inconsistent the first part of the year uh if he there's stretches of games where he's just not engaged defensively physically and then he'll play well for one or two games and then he'll tail off again so now we're entering that same part of the season where now he's starting to turn it on fully and it just it tantalizes you with the skill that this guy has. He's not a small playmaking guy. He's 6'2". I, I don't think he's ever going to be a first-line winger, like a dominant first-line winger. I don't think he's ever going to be a dominant second-line winger. But he's definitely a type of guy, even with his inconsistencies, that drives play, he has great possession stats, his teams take more shots when he's on the ice than when he's off. Like He's a quality second- or third-line guy that can pot 
20 goals a year, 40, 50, 60 points possibly. Uh, and he's still just 24 years old. So the reason why I me- mention all that is they keep mentioning him as a trade candidate. I don't. The Rangers can't just run out a bunch of 18-year-olds next season and expect to compete, after, especially after Sonic Panarin. I think Booch is a guy that's kind of being underva- undervalued and overlooked here in New York, and I think he has a future with this team. Last, next year is the last year on his contract, his bridge deal, so he's going to be in line for a raise. So he's going to be definitely engaged and motivated next season, um, and he might be a guy you want to keep long-term. So I want to just flip him for a prospect and a pick and then have to find over the summer, you're looking at your roster and going, uh, wow, okay, we need somebody on the right side that can produce offensively when you have them already in the room. Um, the last thing I want to talk about for a week in review, we talked about this at the game on Sunday. So Igor Shosturkin got hurt. He kind of twisted his ankle a little bit when the Rangers were playing the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, Tony D'Angelo shoved Andrew Kopp into him, caused a little situation. So he was going to miss a few games. The Rangers went with Alexander Georgiev uh, the next game. Then they played him the next night on a back-to-back. And then they played him again on Sunday against the Bruins with Hank healthy and sitting on a bench. That was three straight games where Hank didn't play, even though Shesterkin, who's earned that number one role with his play, wasn't healthy. And now it was just confirmed a few minutes ago uh, they're playing the Blackhawks tonight in Chicago. Shesterkin's healthy. He's playing goal tonight. So now... Hank hasn't played in about two weeks. There was a perfect opportunity, at least one of those back-to-back games, for Hank to get a start, and he didn't. So that's kind of making me a little suspicious about, are they just trying to market Georgiev and showing uh, these other teams what he has, or are they trying to not get Hank hurt or play poorly because of the layoff before the deadline because they're looking to move one one or two of them? So, if Hank's on a long-term plan, this really is a kind of a shitty way to handle the situation because he's played well, extremely well, if you look at the underlying stats for the way the Rangers play defense this year. And he can't get a start, especially when Serkin's hurt. Like, I like Georgiev, but he's not a franchise guy. And Hank's been the backbone of his franchise for 14 years now. He's still effective. And he signed for next season when he's going to be 38, 39 years old. And that seemed like a natural breaking point where you let him and Shesterkin split time next year. Hank rides off into the sunset and you move on with uh, Shesterkin. Now it's kind of like, you know for a fact Hank's not happy right now. You know he's not going to want to go through this again next year. So is there a situation where if he's not shaded at the deadline and Georgiev's not shaded at the deadline, that this summer it's like, he requests a trade, he requests a buyout, and that's how it goes. It just seems like a really shitty way to part ways with a franchise icon. Well, we were both there Sunday. We were close enough to see. Hank did not look engaged in the least. If anything, nope. he looked pretty pissed off to me. So maybe there is a rift between him and management as to what is the actual future between him or the other two goalies, for that matter. Like, what exactly is it? And we can all agree here on this podcast and people that listen that Henrik Lundqvist is not a backup in this league. Nope. Granted with his years in, is he a little beat up? Yeah, absolutely. But on the other end, like if you've already declared that Shashirshkin is the number one, well, 
Are you saying that Hank's number three now? Yeah, and that's what I mean. <laughs> like, if you were him, like I wouldn't put it past it where if Georgiev isn't dealt at this trade deadline coming up on Monday, that Hank's like, listen, I'm not going to be the number three goaltender here. I'm not going to get rotated around. I'm just going to go home for the rest of the year. Like, and you can just run with the two kid goaltenders and go with that. I'm not dealing with this. Yeah, trade me in the off season. Yeah, so that's just something to keep an eye on, especially since the Grubauer situation in Colorado occurred. I know they're expecting him back for the playoffs, but if you're Colorado and you have a team that has a legitimate shot this year, I know Hank has that big cap hit for eight and a half mil uh, for the remainder of this season and next season, but he's not going to cost too much in a trade because of that. Like if you send over a good prospect and a pick, maybe not even a first rounder and you, bring in a guy like Hank and then you let him carry your team down a stretch. And then when playoffs come, you figure it out with him and Grubauer. I don't think that's a bad situation to be in. No. And as of right now, today, the avalanche's projected cap space is 6.1. Yeah. So you can definitely fit in Hank's like three, nine for the rest of the year. Cap it. I, there's a lot of things that can happen. This is coming from, (laughs) This is coming from Hank's biggest fan. Like, you know how much I love Lundqvist since 2006. And now I'm at the point where I'm like, just for his own sanity and just for a level of respect, maybe it's best to just kind of get him out of here. Since I know, like, I'm not opposed to Shesterkin being the number one. But I'm not choosing Georgiev over fucking Lundqvist. Like, I'm sorry, kid. Yeah, we appreciate your thing. Now go back to Mother Russia. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, all right, that was the two things I want to hit on for Rangers Week in Review. Um, I'm sure you have something for the Bruins. The only thing I have for the Bruins is I would just like Don Sweeney to pull the trigger here. It, It just seems that... Take a gamble? They just, yeah, it's like they just always wait too long, and, like, right now people are coming off the market and the closest person that we're connected to is Chris Kreider. We, we had a deal in pocket for Tyler to which I talked about last week is, well, if the deal's in place, I'm sure other people are going to call on him because you know, LA isn't not going to do a trade because they're going to wait for the Bruins. That that's, that's business. It happened there. So with it, I think defensively we're okay. I don't think we need any depth defensively. I know, Brendan Dillon was rumored to come here. I personally didn't think we needed him unless he was just going to be a meat kind of guy where yeah. if, if we just needed some physicality, that'd be the only way he goes into this lineup. Going forward, obviously we need a forward. I personally really like Mike Hoffman. I mm. don't know if Florida is willing to give him up within the division or not even that, but because they're still partially in the playoff race. So, you know, maybe that's not the fit that we need. I've been rumored to Josh Anderson. I just think he's been really injury prone this year. And me personally, I do not want to go that route, especially with him being that way. Um, Mike Hoffman, man, 5.187 and he's unrestricted gone at the end of the year. Like, to me, that's a perfect fit. He he plays right and left wing. You can put him on the right side. I, I just think that's your guy. Uh, we, we've agreed upon Kreider. I don't think that's it. 
I, I can just see the Bruins doing something here of throwing shit to the wall and hoping it'll stick. And I just wish they would do something. That that's that's all because the players that are available are getting less and less and less every day. Yep. And I feel like the Bruins. Sorry, I've just, I was going to say, I feel like the Bruins are going to do the situation where instead of making one big deal, like for a Kreider, they're going to trade a couple draft picks and a couple prospects for like two or three wingers, and then they're just going to play the hot hand on the second line, and the other guy or the other two guys will serve as depth on the third and fourth line and hope that works out. And you know what? That's exactly what it'll be. They'll trade away Danton Heinen. Uh, and they'll just kind of mix and match guys, and if it doesn't work, they'll just stick with Coleman and go from there. But it's just a little frustrating as a fan that you see guys coming off the board, and we're still here twiddling our thumbs. And it's not to say that Don Sweeney isn't working for a deal, but to say that we didn't need Tyler Toffoli when this pocket deal was made two months ago is kind of obscene. I think Toffoli would have been a real easy fit for you guys. Oh, absolutely. I think he would have worked great with DeBrusque and Krejci, but that's neither here nor there now. We will see. Deadline's on Monday. Uh, It should be a good one, especially since it's a seller's market. So as a Rangers fan, I'm excited to see what happens. Uh, Who do you have for your picks of the week? Game of the week, lock of the week. Okay, so my game of the week is Friday night. I just see two heavyweights going at it. I have the Bruins at Calgary. I just think that's going to be a really good game. Two teams that kind of play the same way. Um, Matty Kachuk versus Brad Marchand, the pest versus pest. (laughs) We will see what happens. And then for my lock of the week, I have Sunday. I am sticking with the Flames, and they are playing Detroit. All right. For my game of the week, I'm going to go. They just played uh, two nights ago. On this Thursday, the 20th, I'm going to go with the Philadelphia Flyers against the Columbus Blue Jackets, two teams in the Metro that are neck and neck for not only a wild card spot, but a spot in the Metro division bracket, especially with the Islanders' struggles lately. Uh, so that should be a good one. My lock of the week is going to be the next night, Friday the 21st, the Colorado Avalanche on the road against the Anaheim Ducks. I don't think that's going to be as easy as you think with all Colorado's injury troubles. Well, Nothing's ever easy with me in lock of the week this year, so that, I wouldn't be surprised if it's like six one final Anaheim. That is very true. Um, I have two for today in NHL history, uh, going back to nineteen ninety six. Patrick Waugh, the Colorado Avalanche, becomes the second youngest goalie in NHL history to reach three hundred wins. And in two thousand and seven, Ryan Malone of the Pittsburgh Penguins becomes the first player in NHL history to get a hat trick by scoring in the first minute of play in each period. I actually saw that stat today. That's a pretty cool stat to have. Yeah, what a like random like stat to have for your byline. Yeah, more the yeah more random. Like, hey, you scored a hat trick. That's great. It's like, yeah, but every minute of every period, every first minute, like just such a random <laughs> fucking thing, you know? Like, I don't know. Uh, who do you have for shoutouts this week? Uh, shoutouts this week. I have the wonderful and gorgeous Big Red. Uh, I appreciate you holding down the fort while the boys went to New York. Uh, Yet again, another shout-out to Big Kev and then Mr. and Mrs. Murphy for hosting us. And um, do I have anything else this week? I got nothing. Uh, yeah, uh, off to you. Uh, shout-outs this week. Obviously, First Lady, and especially because the last 36 hours, she's been taking care of me. I'm 
suffering through some vertigo attacks, so there's times where I'm just crippled and can't even move in bed except for laying on my back like I am right now to record this. Uh, it feels like anytime I try and move and sit up that my brain is kind of rocking back and forth in my skull, so that's a good feeling to have. Uh, so she's been great helping me out there. Uh, shout out to Murph again. Appreciate uh, the tickets. Uh, it was nice meeting him for the first time as well. And it was actually nice. You know, Big Kev, he gave me a little bit of shit here and there. But he was genuinely in a nice attitude and was nice towards yours truly. So I appreciate that. Um, I also want to give a shout out. Not so much a happy one. Kind of a middle finger to all your friends that texted <laughs> you during a game on Sunday whenever the Rangers had a power play, you guys can suck my dick. They actually have a good power play this year, except for when they play you guys. <laughs> oh, my God. I just remember just showing you the phone, and it's like, <laughs> here's a middle finger. Here's another middle finger. Like, middle finger for you, middle finger for you. That's um, why I posted uh, that this is fine meme on our Facebook <laughs> page whenever the Rangers had a power play. So I do have to apologize for the fans. I promise they, uh, in between live between the second and third, but I end up going to see El Chino Maslino Del Mundo and Fast Phil, so I do apologize for that. But uh, this episode has been brought to you by Lizzie's Ice Cream in Harvard Square. Um, he did pay me to say that, so Benny, your uh, Venmo will be sent out. Perfect. And, and uh, yeah, no, I'm excited. Uh, hopefully Monday night we'll be back at this again. We will be doing a trade review, trade deadline review as to... Winners, losers, we'll, we'll touch on a little bit of what happened throughout the week. And I'm excited, man. It, this heated up real quick, real quick. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I just wanted to get in there. Don't forget, follow us on Instagram uh, and Facebook, 25 and 10 Hockey. Uh, our Facebook is where we'll sh- we share all of our news and updates. Our Instagram, we try and keep it more lighthearted, some uh, videos, things like that. And also, subscribe and listen on your favorite podcast platform. We are on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, CastBox. Wherever you listen to your podcast, we are. So subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Bang, 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 bang. Every platform right there. As always, everybody, thank you for listening. And yes, like us, follow us, subscribe to us, text us, DM us, whatever. We are there. We're usually answering everything. I got the phones. Benny has the emails. We're covered on all angles. We will catch everybody next week. Thank you again. Time is precious, I look at my Cartier out of control Just like my mind where I'm going The women, the shorties, know nothing my clothes No stopping now, my Pirelli's on Unlike my theory, that's always on I know the storm is coming My pockets keep telling me it's gonna shower Call up my homies, it's on And popping the night, cause it's meant to be hours We keep a fadeaway shot, cause we ballin' It's partner Patron every hour Look, mama, ow, you just like the flowers Girl, you the truth with all that goodies, hours. Cause...